Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Monday, September 16th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Saudi Arabia's oil industry is reeling after an attack this weekend on a vital crude processing center. Chinese companies have switched from being prolific buyers of global assets to net sellers. Thousands of workers at General Motors are set to strike, and the UK's Brexit secretary says Britain could stay in a standstill transition deal with the EU for the next three years. Plus, the FT's Mihul Shravastava previews Israel's second election of the year and why the stakes are so high for Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Oil prices soared early this morning after a major attack this weekend on Saudi Arabia's oil infrastructure. Iran-aligned Houthi rebels have claimed responsibility for what they said was an attack by 10 drones on two oil facilities. Meanwhile, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo accused Iran of launching Saturday's attack, which cut more than half of Saudi Arabia's production this weekend. When markets reopened this morning, the price of the benchmark Brent crude jumped as much as 20 percent to above $71 a barrel. U.S. President Donald Trump tweeted just before the market opened, saying he had authorized the release of emergency oil stocks if needed in a, quote, to-be-determined amount. There are concerns about how long it'll take Saudi Arabia to recover output towards the 9.8 million barrel a day level it was producing before the attack. Saudi Arabia supplies more than 10 percent of global crude and is the world's largest exporter of oil. As the de facto leader of OPEC, Saudi Arabia is assessing whether it'll need to ask other member countries to temporarily raise production to calm markets until its output can fully recover. Chinese companies have done a deal-making 180 this year, going from being big buyers of global assets to net sellers. All in all, Chinese companies have agreed to sell about $40 billion in overseas assets so far this year. That's up from $32 billion for all of last year, according to data from DealLogic. Meanwhile, Chinese groups have bought just $35 billion in overseas assets in 2019. A lot of these companies have been highly acquisitive for roughly a decade, since the groups became big players in international mergers and acquisitions. But the recent role reversal comes as economic growth in China slows to a 30-year low, and trade tensions with the U.S. start to take a toll on manufacturers. Business conditions have deteriorated for many companies that were striking billion-dollar deals in the U.S. and Europe just two years ago. Access to credit has also tightened. Labor contract talks have broken down at General Motors, and thousands of employees are set to strike. Over the weekend, the United Auto Workers called for what would be the first auto industry walkout in more than a decade. Union leaders and GM management couldn't come to an agreement over the pay and health care benefits for a new four-year labor contract at the carmaker's U.S. factories. GM has nearly 46,000 U.S. factory workers. And Britain could stay in a standstill transition deal with the EU until the end of 2022. That's according to Brexit Secretary Steve Barclay. Right now, the transition has an estimated end date of December 2020. If it were to be extended, it would allow more time to reconvene the suspended Stormont Assembly in Belfast. That would give the people of Northern Ireland a say on the oversight of any Irish border backstop. It would also give sides more time to put in place new technological systems to avoid a hard border in Ireland. 
Downing Street did not deny that Britain could extend the transition until 2022. But a source at Downing Street did say they don't see a need for a longer transition period. Prime Minister Boris Johnson is meeting with European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker today to explore the terms of a possible deal. Meanwhile, at their party conference yesterday, the Liberal Democrats voted to cancel Brexit if they came to power at the next election. New party leader Joe Swinson claimed she could be Britain's next prime minister and that she wanted to revoke Article 50 and scrap Brexit. And here's a closer look at a story you should know more about. Back in April, it looked like Benjamin Netanyahu would serve a fifth term as prime minister, becoming the longest-serving PM in Israeli history. But even though Mr. Netanyahu's right-wing Lukid party had won the election, the prime minister failed to form a new coalition after he was unable to secure the 61 seats needed in the Knesset. And so, tomorrow, Israel will have a second general election this year. The FT's Jerusalem correspondent, Mehul Shravastava, explains how Mr. Netanyahu found himself in this position. One of his uh, longtime allies, his ex-defense minister, Avigdor Lieberman, made a crucial demand right in the middle of building a coalition that Mr. Netanyahu rein in his other coalition allies, which include two ultra-Orthodox parties, which have had a significant role in Israeli politics in keeping the ultra-Orthodox minority segregated from the rest of the country, exempt from serving in the military, running their own schools. That was something Mr. Netanyahu can't do because he needed support from both Mr. Lieberman and the ultra-Orthodox. So he dissolved parliament right before a deadline that would give the opposition a chance to build a coalition. What campaign promises has Mr. Netanyahu made leading up to this election? Mr. Netanyahu has been forced to the extreme right of the political spectrum. In the last uh, two or three weeks, he has seized upon a rather controversial issue where without evidence, he has claimed that Arab Israeli voters are going to commit large-scale electoral fraud. He's tried to force cameras into, into voting booths, something that neither the Supreme Court nor the parliament would approve of. At the same time, he's appealed to the over half a million Israeli Jews who live in the occupied West Bank who are worried that if a left-wing government or a government that's not Mr. Netanyahu comes to power, the permanence of these settlements would come under issue. So he went ahead and promised that if he were to win this election, he would immediately annex a 2,400-kilometer swath of the West Bank and over time would apply Israeli sovereignty to the other settlements that are scattered across uh, the West Bank. This, in a very complicated manner, would eventually make it nearly impossible for a Palestinian state to take hold because it would divide up whatever remaining territory there is into these unconnected Bantustans and not be a viable contiguous state. This is a demand that the right wing has had of Mr. Netanyahu for a long time, and he's waited for a friendly administration in the U.S. to try and pull this off. He has a very receptive audience in uh, U.S. President Donald Trump, and he believes that if he can pull off this election, this is the one thing he can promise that only he can deliver. Mihul, why are the stakes so high for Mr. Netanyahu? Look, every election is considered crucial, but for Mr. Netanyahu, this one is perhaps the most important of his life. In October, he will face a hearing that will decide whether or not he is to be indicted on charges of corruption, bribery, and fraud. If he is unable to form a coalition, he will have to face this in opposition, and that makes him vulnerable to rivals within his own Likud party who've been waiting for decades for Mr. Netanyahu to lose his grip on power. On the other hand, if he wins, he has promised to try and get an immunity clause through Parliament so that 
he and all the other MPs, they call them MKs over here, members of Knesset, will enjoy immunity from prosecution as long as they stay in power. The stakes for Mr. Netanyahu could not be higher. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.